Well, good morning. Welcome again to Christ Central. My name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here. And really, really glad each of you are with us this morning uh, as we kind of launch into the fall and the year ahead. And, and so I'm glad you're here. If you missed the announcements, uh, we've got a party at 12:15 down at Forest Hills Park after the second service, which means uh, you can go do something in between and then come back. Uh, hopefully, you'll join us. It's going to be a great time, food and fellowship. There's going to be bounce houses for kids, and it's going to be a great time. Great weather to enjoy being outside. Uh, and before I get in, I want to highlight something else that wasn't announced at the beginning, but something we're really, really excited about, and that is our Parenting with Heart conference that's coming up October 11th to 12th. Uh, as a parent of two boys and soon to be a third boy, I can attest that parenting uh, is not for the faint of heart. Right? Parenting can be difficult in general. It can be tiring, exhausting, taxing, rewarding, and, and joyful as well. Uh, and especially when you think about that we've got the responsibility as parents to form and to shape our children in our current culture, uh, parenting at times can be very scary, very weighty. And so we as a church want to help parents think through this and how to do this well. And so we're bringing in two unbelievable counselors, Chip Dodd and Stephen James, uh, who just wrote this book right here called Parenting with Heart. Uh, I can attest being around these two men, they are two of the most gifted counselors I've ever been around. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm really, really pumped that they're coming to be with us uh, for a Friday night, Saturday day. If you're a parent or a soon-to-be parent, you don't want to miss this. Uh, it's going to be unbelievable. October 11th to 12th, you can sign up uh, right now for it. Uh, it's coming, coming soon, coming in a month. If you sign up, you actually get this book for free as part of registering and uh, participating in the event. Well, we're continuing this morning in our series in the Lord's Prayer. And many people, perhaps many of us, might think that prayer is primarily coming before God to speak out our grocery list of requests and needs. Yet this prayer teaches us that prayer is not primarily bending God to our wills so that he gives us what we want, but instead it's about having God bend our wills, shape our lives according to his greatest desires. Our prayer life really is the spiritual temperature taker. Do we pray? If we pray, what do we pray? Why do we pray? Your prayer life teaches you what you're really made of, who you really are spiritually. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. We stand each week to give attention to God's word to us. This is his word. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that in this time that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. We need you, King Jesus, to speak to us, so I pray that you would remove me, the preacher, so that Christ and Christ alone is the voice we hear, so that we might gain a vision of a kingdom that will never perish, that is everlasting, that is coming to earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would give us vision this morning, a vision of who you are and a vision of what we can be a part of. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. 
Well, I, I really do love this city, Durham, North Carolina, this place that God has called Christ Central Church to be located. Durham has been classified and is still classified by many as a progressive city. Historically, Durham has been a place of welcome and opportunity for all people, especially people who've been oppressed or pushed to the margins of society. Durham today in many ways is still mindful of being a city of welcome for all people. Now, of course, Durham has its warts and its bumps and its wounds, but what many people have always liked about this city is that it is progressive. Mark Sayers, who's a pastor in Australia, has helped me understand the foundation of this word progressive. I think we often use progressive to refer to politics, and of course it can be used in terms of policies or political standings, but I think progressive at its heart is about making progress towards a better world than what is being experienced in the present. It's about making progress toward a vision of an ideal world, the vision of a utopian world, and Durham prides itself on being progressive, being a city that's making progress towards better housing options, a city that is progressing in equity and education or greater economic stimulus. We are a city that's filled with startups that have values driving people to change the world. We have nonprofits, 751 of them, that are seeking justice for all people. We have academic institutions that want to form and shape students to be the next generation of citizens who will change the world. Our current post-Christian, and that's what we're in if you didn't know, post-Christian progressive culture is driven by a vision of making progress toward an ideal life, the vision of an ideal world. See, the reality is that everybody here is driven by a vision of a better life, of a better city, or a better world. So the greater question is, what's the vision that compels you? What shapes your vision, defines your vision? How's that working out for you? Is it satisfying? The Lord's Prayer lays before us a clear vision. And God has given it to us to shape and form our prayer life so that it transforms how we live in this world. I want us to look at three things from Matthew 6, 9 through 10. We're going to look at the order of this prayer, the danger of this prayer, and the power of this prayer. Order, the danger, the power. So let's look first at the order of this prayer. If you were here two weeks ago, I preached on our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray by starting with a vision and an image of God. Before we get to any petition, we must have a correct image of the God we're praying to. And he is our father, our Abba, our dad, who is in heaven, enthroned and ruling as king over all the earth. See, God's not distant and tyrannical. He's Abba. But he's also not our sugar daddy, our genie in the bottle that gives us what we want when we want it. He is the king over all the earth. The most used descriptor of heaven in the Bible is that of a throne room. It's the picture we have in the scriptures depicting God in heaven is a king ruling from a throne. And in heaven, everything does the bidding of the king. Everyone worships the king and lives in submission to the king. So we have to start with who God is. 
And God is our royal father, a, a king who is ruling, who is our dad that loves us intimately. And the key to really praying this prayer and being formed by it, because that's the goal, our formation, not just words we say, but our formation, the key is this question. Do you really love this royal father? Do you really love God? Have you ever been in love? I've been in love. I am in love with my wife, Rachel. And when I fell in love with Rachel, it made me move to Birmingham, Alabama, where I would live for six weeks so I could be near her, so that ultimately I could spend a good amount of money to buy a ring where I could get on a knee and propose to her. And then it would make me enter vows to say that I would love her, never leave her, honor and keep her, whatever may come. I love my two boys and my soon-to-be third and when they cry, I'm off to see what's wrong. If they're hungry, I'm going to feed them. I'm going to provide for them. When they say, Dad, come play ball, I'm going to go play ball with them. Now, I don't do all of these things perfectly, but I'm attuned to what they desire and what they want. And this is what I'm saying, is that falling in love changes you. When you are in love, you accommodate yourself to the one you love. You will sacrifice for them. When you are in love, in many ways, you are saying, your wish is my command. Your will be done. It's the same way with God. You will never be able to genuinely pray this petition, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, unless you truly give your heart to God. Unless you love God, your Abba Father, and your King above all things. Jesus knows we have to start with a vision of who God is, that he must capture our hearts, because if we're not in love with God, we will not be able to truly and genuinely pray this prayer. You know, there are really only two kinds of religion. Those who use God, God tell me what I have to do to get what I want, negotiating with God, and then those who serve God. God, I want to know you as my creator, as my savior. I want to know you because I love you. It's the difference between a user and a server. It's the difference between a user and a server, and both of these can sit in the same pew on a Sunday right beside each other. And the only way to tell the difference between a user and a server is prayer. A user prays when he or she is in trouble. And when you get out of trouble, you no longer have a reason to pray. A user prays, God, I will love you if if you pray, God, I will love you if God is not actually what you love. Your true love, your real God, is what lies on the other side of the if. While a server knows they're praying to a father who cares deeply about their own lives and a father who is king, who is in complete control, holds all power, and is able to do something if he so desires and thinks best. The order of this prayer is vital. We have to start with a vision of God. And loving the true God will lead us to care what he cares about. It will lead us to accommodate our lives to his desires. Because before we ever pray, give us, which all of us are prone to pray first, before we ever pray, give us, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. The second thing I want us to look at is the danger of, of the prayer, not just the order. I think the best understanding of what it means for God's kingdom to come are the words right after it. Thy will be done. 
that wherever God's will is done, there lies the kingdom of God. If you feel how dangerous of a prayer this is. The danger in praying this prayer is that it means your will is no longer primary. That your world is now turned upside down because this is sandpaper to all of our natural human hearts. Because all of us are prone to live with our will being done. We want what we want when we want it. There's a, a story about a little boy who was running around his parents' house and chasing the dog, provoking his sister. He kept circling the house, running and screaming, and finally his mother grabbed him by the arm and said, sit down and be quiet. The little boy, he sat down, crisscross applesauce, and all of a sudden his bottom lip started to quiver. And he looked up at his mom and he said, I want you to know, I may be sitting down, but inside I'm standing up. Is that not you and I? We get older and we just become a little more subtle, a little more skillful, a little bit more nuanced, but that inner two-year-old still lives deep within us. We don't like having our wills crossed. You ever been in a discussion with someone or a group of people and they're trying to decide what to do and everybody finally says, well, let's go to a movie. You don't really want to go to a movie, so you're like, y'all go to the movie, I'm going to go do my thing. I'm fine. The same two-year-old mentality. Subtle, but it's living and thinking. It's my way or it's no way. You ever had anybody in authority tell you to do something, whether it be at home with your parents, uh, at work with a supervisor, school with a teacher, and they tell you to do something and you think, forget that. I'm not doing that. That's our inner two-year-old standing up inside of us saying, my will be done. We don't like having our wills crossed, but to pray this prayer is to pray, God, may your will be done in my life, even when it crosses my will. May I love you so much that I choose your will over my will. And to pray this prayer is scary, because what if God says no to your will and to your desires? To pray this prayer is a loss of control, And who in here doesn't like control? Someone once said, you can know if you really believe this prayer if you can pray it as you're lying on your hospital bed. God, your will, your will be done, not my will. Jesus prayed this prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane before he headed to the cross. Please, Father, if possible, let this cup pass. Jesus did not want to be killed It was not his desire, it was not his will, but then he prayed, not my will, but your will. And Jesus trusted that his father was good and loving, and that his father was the one ruling over all and knew what was best. So Jesus laid down his life in death on a cross. It cost Jesus his life, but what it accomplished was the establishment of the kingdom of God and salvation for all who believe. God the Father loved the Son intimately, and God the King saw the whole picture of what the cross would accomplish for the Son and for the world. Do you believe that God loves you and knows better than you? It's scary to let go of control and believe this. That's why it's called faith. Now, sometimes we think praying this prayer, Thy will be done, 
It's like our parents telling us when we were three years old, eat this broccoli. You may not like it, but it's good for you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to taste bad when it goes down, but in the long run, it'll be for your good. So we're tempted to think that God is somehow out to get us or make us miserable, at least for a moment, while we suck it up and we pray, God, thy will be done. But Jesus prayed, thy will be done. And he wanted another way than the cross, yet in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, it tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. See, living into this prayer, it's not eating broccoli and sucking it up. Living by and for the will of God is the best life. It is the joy-filled life right now, not just some future hope. I can think of many examples in my own life when this has been the case, when I've been able by God's grace to pray thy will be done. Even though I couldn't see how it would work out or how it might be good for me, and it led to this joy. Small ways. Loving my wife and my children when I often want to do something different, when I want to love myself. Giving money away when I didn't feel like I had any money to give away. Saying yes to someone who's in need when I want to do something for myself. All of these things produce joy in the present. Then in big ways, I, I remember my junior year in college, I felt God's call into vocational ministry, which meant no to medical school, a career that I had dreamed of for years. But I will tell you, I wouldn't trade the past 20 years of vocational ministry for anything. It has been fun. It has been a joy-filled ride that God has taken me on. See, God is a good, loving Father who has your and my best interest at heart, and he's the king who sees the landscape of history, the present, and the future, who's ruling over all, and he has our good and his glory in mind. The kingdom of God is where God's will is being done. John Wesley wrote a wonderful prayer of surrender to God's will. If you want God's will to be done in your life, I encourage you to make this prayer yours as well. Listen to what Wesley prayed. He said, I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. There's an order and there's danger in this prayer, but lastly, there's power in this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The kingdom of God, it is the main central theme of the whole Bible. The good news of the gospel is not good news about my forgiveness or my salvation. It is good news about the kingdom of God. The Bible talks about how the kingdom of God has already come, but it's not yet fully revealed. And we live in between the time of King Jesus' first coming, which established and secures the kingdom of God, and then his second coming that will consummate the kingdom of God. So in between this first and second coming of King Jesus, he teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, which is a prayer of God, use me. God, use us that your kingdom would come and your will be done. 
See, the revolution of God's kingdom comes by His Spirit through us, His people. Do you notice what the goal of this petition is? The goal is that heaven would come to earth. Heaven is the ideal. It's the ideal. And heaven is a place right now where God is so glorious, His presence so weighty, that all cover themselves from the radiance of His glory. No one in the throne room of God dare to disobey the king. Right now in heaven, there is universal, voluntary, joyful obedience to the king. Heaven is the ideal, but earth is the goal. Earth being transformed into God's kingdom is the vision. Hear this. Jesus did not come to save me or to save you just from our individual sins so that we can fly off to heaven when we die. And it comes just to forgive us so that we can float up into heaven when we die. It's sad to say that many who have grown up in the, in the church have been given a vision of Christianity that is overly individualistic and overly ethereal, non-physical, not material. And if you're not a Christian, maybe this is a vision of the Christian life you heard before. Believe in Jesus, he'll forgive your sins, and then you can float up into heaven when you die. And I have to agree with you, what is compelling about that? Why be persuaded to be part of a kingdom where you're going to float up into heaven, sit on a cloud, and play a heavenly harp for all of eternity? That's not very compelling. The vision that the Bible and the vision Jesus gives us is a kingdom coming to earth and a vision of a king who is worthy of all of our allegiance and all of our love. See, Jesus came for the reason that the Christmas hymn, Joy for the World, says. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So where the curse of spiritual separation from God exists, Jesus came so people could be drawn to faith to, in Jesus and enter into the kingdom of God. Where the curse of physical disease exists, Jesus came to heal diseases. Where the curse of broken and failing marriages exists, Jesus came to heal marriages. Where the curse of people having no food and are living in poverty exists, Jesus came so that the hungry would be fed and the poor lifted up. Where the curse of children having no mother or no father exists, Jesus came for the adopting of children into families. Where the curse of hard work exists, whether it be in your job or at school, Jesus came to empower you to do your job with excellence and faithfulness. When the curse of neighbors living separate and isolated lives exists, Jesus came so that we could love our neighbors with the love we receive. Where the curse of the world being at odds, war exists between countries, or wars existing within one country, Jesus came to unite the world. Jesus came so that every tongue, tribe, and nation could be gathered together in him. Jesus came to reign over the whole world, to reclaim everything as belonging to God. Jesus didn't come to save us from the world. Jesus came to save us to himself for the sake of the world. So we, more than anyone, should be a people who love our city where God has placed us, who seek the flourishing of this place. We, the followers of Jesus, 
more than anyone should be willing to step into the places of brokenness with the hope of King Jesus bringing healing and renewal. We should be a people who, if we're able, buy homes in the city and, and plant ourselves here, who move our businesses into the city, who seek to help the unemployed, who spend our money in the city, who enjoy the culture of this city. It's a good thing to go listen to local bands and join a running club or enjoy whatever our city's offering. Get involved in local school system. Get involved in government. Volunteer with a nonprofit. We are not saved from the world, but we're saved unto Jesus for the restoration of the whole world, for a kingdom that is coming to earth as it is in heaven. We are part of something huge. So what does it look like for you to pray? And not just pray, but live. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here in Durham. Here in Chapel Hill. In Hillsborough, or Raleigh, or Cary. At Duke, at North Carolina Central, at UNC, at your job, or in your neighborhood. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Many people know John Calvin and the name, at least the name because of his theology. Uh, but did you know that John Calvin's seminary in the 17th century in Geneva was a missionary sending agency? That out of Geneva, Calvin sent graduates to France to plant churches at extreme speed and volume. And this was a time in France of Bloody Mary ruling, so the persecution of the Protestant church was extreme. So extreme that the average lifespan of a man or a woman graduating from Calvin's seminary was six months. That within six months, they would be killed and martyred. There's a record of a woman coming to Calvin's door late one night drenched in blood because the French had followed her husband back to Geneva and murdered him in his bed. And you have to ask, why in the world would these people spend so much time learning at seminary to live six months. And FYI, th this didn't just happen in 17th century Geneva. This type of martyrdom and persecution is happening right now in China, in the Middle East, and other parts of our country. So why in the world are Chinese pastors right now risking their very lives? Because students at Geneva and these Chinese pastors and many around the world are compelled by a vision of God's kingdom. What's the vision of your life? What do you think progress looks like? Jesus didn't die, didn't live perfect life, die death on a cross and rise just to remove our sins. He came to bring a kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. So I have to ask you, are you part of this kingdom? Have you believed in this king? Put it another way. Do you love God? And are you willing to accommodate your life to his vision? For those of you who do love this king, we cannot be a people with weak vision, who settle to live comfortable American dream lives. We cannot. Theologian Francis Schaeffer, who passed away in 1984, he said this, during, obviously, his own life, so passed away in 84, he said, American Christianity has crawled into a coffin. It's crawled into a coffin. Well, it's time for a rising up. 
It's time for a renewal. It's time for an awakening empowered by a vision of a king and of his kingdom. And so let's pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And as a result, may our living match our prayers. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would shatter our small vision. Enlarge our vision, our our vision of who you are, God, and our vision of a kingdom that we get to be a part of. Lord, I do pray that the Christ Central Church would be a church that is felt in this city, not because we just want to take from it, enjoy the good of this city, but that we really seek to, to bless and the flourishing of this place. And this place includes our neighborhoods, our jobs, the academic institutions, the elementary schools, the high schools, government, art, culture. God, we want to see all things brought under the lordship of King Jesus, that your will would be done. I pray this morning that we would always pray first that it would be done in our lives, and then we might be instruments of it happening in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.